Welcome to the NBA Deep Dives podcast. I am your host, Nick Agar-Johnson. It is Tuesday, so it is Draft Deep Dives Day, and we are recording less than an hour after the official NBA Draft Lottery results were announced. So I am here with my Draft Deep Dives co-host, Tyler Metcalf, to do an instant reaction to the lottery night news. Tyler, how are you doing today? Nick, I'm good. I'm on vacation in the Northwoods, but this whole basketball thing seems to never stop. So uh, huge, huge night with major draft implications. So we, we just kind of had to hop on and talk about it. Major, major draft implications. So let's start at the very top. We're going to open with winners and losers. And the most obvious winner of this particular draft lottery night is the team that won the number one overall pick, the Detroit Pistons. And Ben Wallace was clearly quite pleased as the pick was announced, and there was clear screaming in the background by various members of the Pistons executive staff when it became abundantly clear that the Pistons are going to get Cade Cunningham at the top of this draft. And of the teams that were most likely to end up in the number one spot— I think Cade has the most clearly defined role on the Detroit Pistons. They're a team where he's going to have the ball in his hands a whole lot, and he's going to have a whole lot of responsibilities on his shoulder very early on in his NBA career. But he's going to have much better shooting surrounding him than he did at Oklahoma State. And certainly one of the best shooters that he's going to have alongside him is another young prospect for the Pistons and recent all-rookie selection, Sadiq Bey. So... Tyler, what are your thoughts on the Detroit Pistons winning this night and almost certainly getting to select Cade Cunningham in the upcoming draft? So I, I grew up a Pistons fan, and the the fact this is like second best case scenario for me that the Pistons won the lottery. Um, I, I'm so excited for Cade to really help accelerate this franchise turning around and getting back into a playoff and contender status because that's the type of player that Kate is and it didn't really matter who won the lottery he was going there because he's so he's he, he doesn't rely on fit it's not a case of oh well you know how does he fit into our roster it's this dude is the best player head and shoulders above everyone else and he has the potential to completely turn a franchise around and I think that's exactly what he's going to do with the Pistons, when you look at their roster and how it's currently constructed, they have a lot of really fun avenues to kind of go down with. Obviously, we only saw a, a limited uh, Killian Hayes last year, but he was really exciting with his playmaking and scoring potential and defensive potential as well. So when you combine that with Kate Cunningham's playmaking and scoring ability, it creates a really versatile and unique backcourt. And then you add in Jeremy Grant, who had a much better year than anyone anticipated, Sadiq Bay, Isaiah Stewart. They have a lot of really fun pieces that could lead to Detroit trotting out a lot of really different and unique lineups. You mentioned Jeremy Grant, and I think that that's a really interesting point to bring up because Jeremy Grant started the season much hotter than he ended the season. And as you said, he still performed certainly much better than people expected, but 
it was clear that towards the end of the season with defensive attention much more geared towards him than it had ever been before that he wasn't quite able to replicate his incredibly hot first two months or so of the season but with Cade Cunningham taking so much of the defensive attention right away at the NBA level and with Killian Hayes hopefully having better health and you know improved shooting hopefully he will develop that a little bit over the course of this offseason Killian Hayes is a really interesting fit alongside Cade as well because he's someone who was kind of billed as a primary guy and kind of still can be a primary guy but if you have Cade Cunningham alongside him it really allows him to grow his game and you know the two of them together will be a very interesting backcourt both from a creation standpoint and you know, hopefully with Jeremy Grant slotting in as a second option, they could, you know, potentially fight their way into the playoffs as early as next season. The fit with Killian, I, I think, is, isn't is going to be as difficult because I, a lot of people were projecting Killian coming into the league as a guy who could play on and off ball, where he could play with another primary creator. And I'm not as sold on that. I think he's a good shooter off the catch. And in that aspect, I think he could really excel off ball, but I don't think he's a good off ball mover. So that will be a little awkward and there'll be a learning curve there. But even when Killian does initiate, you can run a lot of sets to run Kate off a screen and have him establish at the elbow or in the post or mid post, and then have him operate out of there. So it kind of provides a different look and, point of attack for where your offense could initiate from so at first it will be a little awkward there will be some a a pretty steep learning curve and adjustment curve but I, I think Kate is such a unique player that it really doesn't matter who he's playing alongside he's going to make them better so the other big winner of the night or really, I think the second biggest winner of the night, the Houston Rockets do not end up losing their pick to the Oklahoma City Thunder. And instead, they end up at number two in the draft. And, you know, obviously, the biggest win from Houston's perspective is not having to give up a top five pick in this draft. But, you know, they will get at number two, I think, a very interesting place in the draft order because, We both believe firmly that Cade is the no-doubt number one pick in this draft, and I think we would both be incredibly shocked if he does not go to the Detroit Pistons. So really the draft kind of starts at two with the Houston Rockets, and you had Evan Mobley at number two. I have Jalen Suggs at number two. But given that the Rockets' best player is a center in Christian Wood, it will be interesting to see, you know, how much of a look they take at Evan Mobley or whether they try to go with one of the two other guards who are presumed to be in the top four in Jalen Suggs and Jalen Green. I I would assume that Mobley is the pick here. I I think he's another, just such a unique talent that it'd be really, really hard to pass on. But that fit with Wood, I think is a little more difficult to figure out than, you know, Cade with Killian. So I, I do still lean towards Mobley going there, but it wouldn't surprise me if they look to add another freak athlete in their backcourt and say Jalen Green and pair him with Kevin Porter Jr., where you have two really dynamic and uber-athletic 
shot creators and scorers and guys who could both play as that primary initiator role. So from just a pure offensive scoring standpoint, that would be a lot of fun with those two. I still think that Houston will likely go Mobley and probably try out that that two big system with Wood and Mobley. Uh, I I think that system would work with Mobley. I think he's mobile enough and versatile enough on both ends of the floor where it wouldn't be too much of an issue. Not long ago, we were talking about say what if Minnesota got that pick and pairing him next to Carl Anthony Towns. Christian Wood and Carl Anthony Towns aren't the same player, but I think the fit isn't too dissimilar. And I, I, I think that it, it would be more than manageable. It helps that Christian Wood is a threat from three-point range and Evan Mobley yep. is a center, but one with a jump shot. And certainly Wood's weakest area is his defense. So Mobley would certainly cover on that end for him. Exactly. It's interesting to me, though, that you didn't bring up Jalen Suggs in the discussion for Houston. And that's a bit weird to see just because he's more of a pure point guard as opposed to a combo guard type. And they do have John Wall eating up a ton of cap space and sort of <laughs> mental space on that roster. But I don't know if I were the Rockets, I would certainly take a long look at Jalen Suggs. You know, John Wall is not exactly the future of this Houston Rockets team. And with Suggs, you get someone who I think is going to be much better at running an offense right away than Jalen Green, who might not ever be a primary guy playmaking-wise for an NBA offense. So what are your thoughts on a potential Suggs fit for the Rockets? I I like the fit a lot. I think it really comes down to how their long-term view of Kevin Porter Jr. is because he had some incredible games and he's clearly an absurdly talented kid. It's always been the off the court personality stuff that has hindered him or held him back a little bit, but in Houston, it didn't seem like he had too many issues. Um, I, he's such a good player that I, I hope that continues and that's a trend of good things for him. But if Houston views him as, their point guard of the future, then I think they would lean towards Jalen Green, per se, um, to fill that that shooting guard spot. But if they think Kevin Porter Jr. is more of a off-ball guard and just pure scoring guard and not someone you want to rely on to, you know, to slow the to slow the game down and control the tempo and be that more traditional point guard then I think Suggs is, uh, w- would be an excellent fit there. For me personally, I, I still think Mobley's just ahead of those guys, and I, don't, I think it'd be really hard to pass on a big man with that type of potential. But if they are looking to boost their backcourt, then I think it really comes down to what their internal long-term view of Kevin Porter Jr. is. So the Detroit Pistons had the worst record in the Eastern Conference and the second worst record in the NBA. The Houston Rockets had the worst record in the NBA and, of course, therefore, obviously, the worst record in the Western Conference. But they were joined in the top four by two teams that had significantly lower odds of ending up in that top four. So up next at number three, 
here we are again with the Cleveland Cavaliers jumping up in the lottery order. You clearly are very pleased by this particular moment. But the interesting thing for me with Cleveland is given their Colin Sexton, Darius Garland backcourt, it would seem like they would desperately want to get Evan Mobley at number three overall. The question is just going to be, is Mobley still there by the time it gets around to them at the third pick? I really wish that the lottery was rigged. And the only reason I know it's not is because Cleveland keeps getting rewarded with these top lottery picks, despite not doing anything correctly to ever deserve them. It's it's just infuriating, but you're, you're right. Evan Mobley is the absolute best fit, no-brainer selection for the Cavs if he's there. I stru- I think it's a long shot that he is, though, and I'm fascinated to, to see what they do. If they would have fallen at four, five, six, seven in that range, then I, I, I think Kuminga would probably be the pick. I think at three, that's way too big of a reach for him. It would be fascinating to see if or how they would construct a backcourt of Jalen Green, Colin Sexton, Darius Garland, or you know, sub in Jalen Sugslayer. And it's a really awkward fit with Jalen Green. It's another uber athletic scoring guard, and now you've got essentially three of those. I know Darius Garland developed a lot more into more of a traditional point guard or more of a playmaker this last year, but he's still a ways off from being what we thought he was coming out of college. So if they do go with green or Suggs, which if I were them, I would, because I think those would be the best players available at that spot. And then if they try and move off of Sexton or Garland, it'll be fascinating to see what a, what they can get for him and B if they are in fact able to move them. And if they're not, how they really work that trio of young guards. So I am a little bit higher on Kaminga than you are, but I would still agree that he's a bit of a reach at three. Jalen Green is at least 6'5", and theoretically a wing, whereas Jalen Suggs is a pure point guard. So even though I am higher on Suggs than I am on Green, I think if I'm Cleveland, I'm probably looking at Green more than Suggs. The interesting thing for me, though, and we'll get into this uh, tangentially in a moment when we get into the losers, but... Because of the Chicago Bulls trade with the Orlando Magic, the Magic now have picks five and eight in this draft. And I'm wondering if the Cavs maybe consider moving back from three to five or maybe even from three to eight if they can get some other pieces from Orlando that they're interested in. Because if it gets to the third pick and it goes Cade one and Mobley two— you know, I think it would make a lot of sense to take a swing on Kuminga, but I think that swing makes a lot more sense at five than it does at three. You know, if you can swap back with Orlando being pretty certain that they're going to take one of Green or Suggs, then, you know, maybe it's worthwhile to consider that option. That being said, I'm not sure what Orlando throws into the trade to make that work because I think them trading five and eight would be ridiculous, but... You know, if they could throw in some kind of sweetener that convinces the Cavs to move back a couple spots, that might be a trade to look out for on draft night. That's a really interesting idea. And Jalen Green, I've 
when I, you know, thinking of landing spots, I, you know, Orlando always comes towards the top of the list for him. And I, I think he would be really fun and a pretty seamless fit into that roster. And, you know, from what I hear or read or see, Orlando tends to feel the same way and they need a legitimate franchise cornerstone scoring wing or guard. And that would be fascinating. And by trading back, that would give Cleveland multiple shots at hitting on a home run swing while also boosting their wing depth with, you know, with a Kaminga, with Franz, with Scotty Barnes, Jalen Johnson, whoever's there. I, I think that would be a fascinating move. I think it would make a lot of sense for both teams. It's just, it, it takes a lot to convince some of these teams to trade back though. Yeah, fair enough. So the other team that landed in the top four, the Toronto Raptors ended up with the number four overall pick. And for them, I think they'll probably just pick whoever is left among Green and Suggs. We're assuming that Cade will go number one and Mobley, if he doesn't go two, is almost certainly going to go three to Cleveland. So Toronto, it'll be interesting to see what they do with Kyle Lowry, whether they try and sign and trade him, given that they have one of Green or Suggs almost certainly coming into their backcourt with Fred Van Vliet, their lottery representative tonight, sort of coming into his own, especially over the past couple of years. But what are your thoughts on what Toronto might be looking to do here? I agree that they go with Green or Suggs, assuming that's how the draft falls. They've proven that two-guard lineup works really well with what they're looking to do and what they have done in the past. The sliding in Jalen Suggs to replace Kyle Lowry makes a lot of sense with his personality, with his work ethic, his desire to win, all those cliche intangible tropes that get thrown out about guys. He's also from Minnesota, which is basically Canada, right? Right. We, you know, the, the, the North, it's all the same once you <laughs> get over a certain latitude point. Right. So I, I think that transition out of the Lowry era with, with a Jalen Suggs personality and talent would make that transition a lot easier and it would help Suggs learn and adapt and, grow into that role a lot quicker playing along a guy like Fred Van, Fred Van Vliet as well. And finally, the last winner that I wanted to discuss, the Golden State Warriors didn't have their 14th overall pick jump up in the draft order, but, and sorry to drive the stake home, but they <laughs> do end up getting the Timberwolves pick since it fell outside of the top three So now, one year after drafting James Wiseman with the number two overall pick, the Warriors will have seven and 14 heading into this draft. I'm anticipating that they're going to shop both of these incredibly aggressively to try and bring in an established player. Whether how successful they'll be at doing that, I'm hesitant on because these picks didn't, they they fell kind of in that gray zone where there isn't that elite there that potential for that elite player at that spot with that said there this is a really good draft and there's a lot of talent in the lottery so i would i would love to see them take 
a couple swings at some of these big wings, say Scotty Barnes, Franz Wagner, Moses Moody, guys of that ilk who can come in, be really effective two-way players, help from day one, guys who have who are known to be really high IQ players and really high work rates. I think that injection of youth and intelligence would really help this Warriors team right away. I just think they're at a point where they there's only so many years like we saw this last year from Steph Curry that we're going to get. So I can only imagine that they they might all they're probably already on the phones trying to shop these and get interest on what guys might be available come trade season. So I definitely agree with you that the Warriors are going to try to very aggressively shop both of these picks as soon as possible. But if I were them, I would definitely look to shop the seventh pick as aggressively as possible. You know, you could sell that as top half of the lottery type of pick, you know, Mm -hmm. granted it's not the top five, which is pretty clearly defined in this class. But, you know, if they happen to have a particular love for Scotty Barnes or, Davion Mitchell or Josh Giddy or whoever it might be, you know, maybe they can find a team that loves that guy enough to pay way too much for that seventh overall pick. That being said, mm-hmm. if I were the Warriors, I would definitely try and hold on to that 14 pick because given the kinds of wings and guards that are sort of in the lottery, late lottery, mid first round area of this draft, I mean, if they keep that 14 pick and they can get, say, Corey Kispert or maybe even Franz Wagner if he falls that would be a huge plus for this team and you know that way you're kind of getting someone especially if you're getting Kispert you're getting someone who can contribute right away while also having that kind of youth and potential upside for Warriors teams down the road I I 100% agree that that seventh pick should be the one that they initially shop my assumption is that they will be aggressively going after guys like the Bradley Beal or guys of that caliber who will really help immediately push Golden State back into that legit contender category. And if they are going after those guys, then I just, I'm just assuming that 14 would have to be included in that because that whoever's trading out a guy of that talent, they're going to want to, get bring back as many assets to help rebuild as quickly as possible. But if they can pull off a trade like that while keeping 14, I, I completely agree with you that there's so much talent in this draft that they, they could get a really high end rotation player from day one at, at the end of the lottery. All right, so now quickly let's discuss the losers. And really there are two sort of big losers of the night in my book. And I think you could argue actually that there's a sneaky third loser team as well in this. But the first one to discuss, unfortunately, is the Timberwolves who did lose their pick, the Warriors, as we just discussed. But hey, I mean, the end of the season was pretty positive for the Timberwolves given how the early season looked for them so the fact that they're losing this pick isn't as painful as it could have been and also the fact that they're losing the seven pick as opposed to the four pick is certainly better than it could have been yeah 
I, I came into the night with no expectations of the Timberwolves keeping their pick. That proved to be true, and the Timberwolves continued their trend of never moving up in the lottery. The only time they did was last year, and they got Anthony Edwards. That seems to be working out pretty great. So it would have been awesome if the Timberwolves would have gotten some insane lottery luck and jumped up into that top three. I would have loved a Cade Cunningham or Jalen Suggs or Evan Mobley on this team. I wasn't expecting it. That was the outlier. And once this team got healthy after the all-star break and Chris Finch was starting to put his stuff in place, they really started turning the corner. Anthony Edwards was putting up all-star-esque numbers. Carl Anthony Towns finally got healthy and the offense was fully running through him and he looked like a superstar again. Jaden McDaniels is the second coming. Um, it's a lot, obviously being hyperbolic, Really? There's a lot to be <laughs> there's a lot to be excited about with this team going forward, and the fact that they were making winning, emphasizing the importance of winning, and not trying to get an asset or something like that was encouraging for a team that only essentially only lost. So it sucks. They moved down at least, so they didn't give Golden State a better pick, and. I'm excited for what they look like next season. Up next on the losers list, and we've talked about them from the flip side of that trade, the Chicago Bulls, who are probably actually, if we're being honest here, a bigger loser than the Timberwolves. They lost their pick to the Magic after trading for Nikola Vucevic, hoping that that would help them make a playoff push, which they very much did not make. And so now the Bulls, after once again missing the playoffs, will be without a lottery pick. I have no idea where this team goes from here. They don't really have a point guard. They don't play a whole lot of defense. They don't have a pick. They really got to hope that they build some insane chemistry this offseason and and in training camp because they, they made a monster trade to make the playoffs and they regressed. So this is not a good starting point for the Bulls. And I will be fascinated to see kind of where they go from here. Patrick Williams is going to have to take a huge jump for them if they want to be competitive, like they clearly plan and anticipate being. But it's they, they're fighting an uphill battle here. And the last loser, which isn't as obvious as the T-Wolves and the Bulls who lost their picks, but the Oklahoma City Thunder, they had the fourth worst, tied for the fourth worst record in the NBA this past season, and they had a very good chance at getting the Rockets pick, and the Thunder could easily have had two top five picks in this draft, and instead they ended up with zero. They only have the number six overall pick, and I'm not too concerned about the Oklahoma City Thunder's draft pick future exactly, but this yeah. night certainly did not go as well for them as it could have. No, the, the this did not go to their plan of acquiring all of the draft picks from here to eternity. They do have three first-round picks, they're not exactly where they obviously wanted them to be, but with it, it will be fat. It'll just be fascinating to see when and if they ever pull a trigger on making a huge trade and just throwing a million draft picks at a team for their best player 
or if they just continue to keep taking massive home run swings on some of these prospects, hoping that a couple land. And if they do, then they have a young core of guys who are, who could be multi-time all-stars. So it didn't quite go the way that the Thunder organization and fans hoped, but there's still a lot of room for creativity and variance and just intrigue on what this team could look like because I think it's going to be a really unique example of team building. All right. So before we wrap things up here, I wanted to just talk quickly about some potential trade targets and potential trading teams. Now, the biggest trade target team-wise is Golden State, who we've already discussed, but we talked about the potential Cleveland-Orlando flip from the Cleveland perspective, but I do want to talk about potential trades for the Magic now that they have both the five and the eight pick. So, you know, not only does that leave the possibility that they might trade up to try and get a more sort of guaranteed swing at a superstar, but there is a pretty clearly defined top five in this draft in most people's mind, and Orlando has one of those picks. You know, it's the fifth pick, but they do have one of those picks. So for me, it'll be interesting to see, do they, you know, maybe try and shop that eight pick with, I don't know, say Cole Anthony? Do we know how Jonathan Isaac's going to look? Is there going to be a team that might want to trade for him? Because if you're Orlando and you have both five and eight, it might be interesting to see if they try and move one of those. They don't seem like they're going to be willing to pull the trigger on a win-now trade, but it will be interesting to see if they look to make both of those selections on draft night. I think Orlando's committed to this full rebuild, hence the moving on from Steve Clifford. And Steve Clifford's an awesome coach, but he's not a guy who wants to go through another rebuild, which Orlando has clearly made clear has made clear that they are going through so i would i i I would like to see them potentially make a move up to three or four to get say jalen green depending on where he falls but i i think given the injury issues they've had with isaac and the kind of uncertainty with what type of player Cole Anthony or RJ Hampton will turn into. I'm pretty optimistic on both those guys. I think there's a lot to work with there, but then adding two top eight picks to that mix, I think gives them a lot of different things to work with and a lot of avenues to kind of explore. So I, I I would, I assume that they will look at trading those to move up or maybe bring in, some a, a more legitimate player, but I, I think they're pretty attached to this to, to going through this rebuild, and I think bringing in two top eight picks in a in a really talented draft, it would be pretty hard to pass up. Yeah, I think the odds that they trade the fifth pick are pretty small unless they're using it to trade up. Really, for me, it's more interesting to see. You know, presumably they will get Kuminga at five or maybe they value someone like Scotty Barnes more highly than Kuminga the two of us would not agree with that but you know maybe some teams see it differently than we do but I think if they're going to trade a pick they're definitely going to try to look to trade the eight pick and you know that'll be interesting to see 
if they can use that pick to move up and then maybe get two picks in this top five or you know maybe they just decide that again given that they've made it pretty clear that they're going through a full teardown they just take Kuminga at five and then you know take a home run swing on someone like maybe Zaire Williams with that eighth pick and every year we always have one random pick early in the lottery that completely throws off what we were expecting so maybe we get one of those at six or seven and a team who you know nine or lower is in love with that prospect who got passed on and they decide to pay through the nose to move up to eight to get that guy so it it gives them just more leverage to work with and I'd be pretty surprised if we saw anything pre-draft night but depending on how the picks fall they they at least have some wiggle room and different things to work with and avenues to explore to continue adding assets and developmental pieces. All right. Anything else you want to go over here before we wrap things up? Just quick, quick shout out to Jared Butler. Uh, some news came across today that he was being held out of combine and any practice activities. Uh, sounds like he may have a heart issue that the NBA is hesitant to clear and wants to investigate more on. Hopefully, it's nothing too serious and that he's cleared because he's an uber talented kid and seeing his journey through Baylor, um, it would really suck to see his career ended this early. Um, Other than that, I submitted Moses Moody scouting report today. So hopefully that's up in the next week or so. Uh, I'll have some Timberwolves related stuff over on Canis Hoopers, but check out hashtag basketball.com for all my draft stuff. Definitely echo the Jared Butler shout out. Best wishes to him. Hope that's not as serious as it sounds like it might have been given the reporting on that. But he is Tyler Metcalf. You can find him on Twitter at T-M-E-T-C-A-L-F-1-1. And definitely be sure to check out that Moses Moody scouting report as soon as that goes up, as well as his work at Canisupas. You can find me on Twitter at N-B-A-J-O-H-N-S-O-N. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please take the time to leave a rating and or a review in whatever podcast player you might be using. That's always much appreciated on our end. And we have a very special episode coming up for next week's Draft Deep Dive, so definitely be on the lookout for that. If you have any feedback about the podcast, feel free to reach out to me either via Twitter or email, nickaj.nba at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening.